Our text for this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter writes, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is our text. So this past Wednesday, we began the season of Lent, as you well know by now. And Lent is a time of reflection and repentance. It is a time of sober and somber contemplation. And it's a time of preparation as we remember the most important events in the history of the world. Events that we will be remembering and celebrating and sharing together this Holy Week. Not everyone knows about these things, of course. In fact, people in this culture are increasingly unaware. People are increasingly uninterested in what God has done for us in Jesus. And much less so do people in this day and age know anything about what Lent is. I want you to imagine for a minute this morning that you have somebody that you know who has no connection to the church whatsoever. They know no history about the church, and they ask you on Wednesday, what is that cross that you have on your forehead? Or maybe that person wonders why you aren't joining the rest of the group these next six weeks for happy hour on Wednesday. Or maybe they hear you humming one of your favorite Lenten hymns, and they ask you, what is that you're humming? Can you tell me about that? Let's imagine that they ask you what Lent is all about. What would you say? How would you describe Lent? Or better yet, what if that very same person asked you, what is Christianity all about? What answer would you give to that? The author, Will Carroll, tells a story about one of his friends who had been pestering him. He'd been badgering him for a very succinct definition of Christianity. This friend of his did not want some big, long explanation. He didn't want doctrines or creeds. He said, I'm not too bright, so keep it simple. In ten words or less, tell me what is Christianity. What's the Christian message in 10 words? What would you have said? If you were asked to describe the Christian message using only 10 words, which 10 words would you use? In business, that's known as an elevator speech. The idea is that you should be able to explain your business or your idea or your product in the time that it takes an elevator to go from one floor to the next. The fact is that in this day and age, many of our conversations are very brief, aren't they? We often find only short snippets of time to have conversations with other people. We're so busy, we're so occupied with other things, we have such brief encounters. Or think about Twitter, you only have 140 characters to get your message across, whatever that message may be. Now, Christians don't really have an elevator speech, but we have something else. Christians have what is called a confession. A 
I'm not talking about the confession of our sins, although that's one kind of confession that we have, and we've done that already here this morning. I'm talking about a confession of faith. And the Bible is very clear that we as Christians must have a confession. We must use our mouths to talk about the hope that we have within us, and we must be prepared to have an answer when somebody asks us. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In 1 John, John tells us, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then there's Peter in our text for today. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. You see, to be a Christian is not just to believe, but to believe and confess the good news of Jesus. But what is the good news? And who is Jesus? And what impact on your life does he have in the here and now? There's a lot of confusion today about these questions. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of misrepresentation about what Christians believe and how their beliefs shape their lives. So at such a time as this, we have an incredible opportunity and I would argue an urgent responsibility to confess clearly and confidently the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost and the dying, not just somewhere overseas, but right in our own homes or neighborhoods or workplaces. Back in 2010, an article was published in a Christian magazine called The Gospel in Seven Words. And in that article, the, the author asked very prominent theologians in the United States to proclaim the gospel as clearly as they could but he limited them to seven words. Instead of reciting some kind of creed or the Apostles' Creed, he allowed them only seven words. And their versions were fascinating. Some of them were faithful and true and very creatively insightful. And, and others of them, I'm going to tell you, completely missed the mark. They left something to be desired. But I want to share with you a couple of the good ones. First this, in Christ, God's yes defeats our no. Or this one, God through Jesus Christ welcomes you anyhow. I like that word, anyhow. Or this one, God was in Christ reconciling the world. Notice that each of these three versions is very true. Each of them is consistent with the scriptures. Each of them captures an important aspect of the good news of Jesus. But notice that each of them is also different. They use different words and different pictures. They highlight different aspects of the gospel. They summarize the good news of Jesus in different ways. And as I thought about these different confessions that I read about, I couldn't help but wonder which seven words I would use. 
And then I got to thinking about which seven words would all of you use? And what would it be like if all of us would combine, would put together our seven words, and I wonder what kind of proclamation would come forth out of that. I started wondering which seven words you would use if someone would ask you for the hope that you have in you. Think about it for just a minute this morning. Peter says, always be prepared. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to someone who asks you about the hope that you have within you and do it with gentleness and respect. So if someone asks you what you believe or why you go to church, your neighbor might say, I see you leaving at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning. Where are you going? Why are you doing that? What if they would ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? Could you articulate an answer? Be honest with yourself. Would you stumble around a little bit trying to explain things? You might say, well, it's kind of complicated. I'm not quite sure how I would answer that. Or, or, you know, I'm really not very good at explaining things. Or, or maybe you would say, well, well, why don't you come to my church and, and I'll let my pastor tell you what I believe. That's hardly being prepared, is it? And while you could always recite the Apostles' Creed, uh, I'm not sure that would work too well or go over very well either. It might even be kind of weird if you would do that. So I want to set before us a goal for this Lenten season, the goal of Ascension Lutheran Church. And our goal over the course of these next six weeks is to prepare ourselves not only to celebrate the most important events in the history of the world, the history of the universe, during Holy Week when we get there, but also to confess the hope that we have in our hearts because of Jesus Christ, because of what happened Holy Week. And so to that end, I'd like to do some work together this Lenten season, some work together, all of us, and I'd like for you to reflect about who Jesus is and what he means to you as his child. I want to consider with you the various ways in which we might confess the gospel to our friends, to our neighbors outside the church, maybe the people in our workplace. And we're not going to simply be doing this in theory. We're going to be getting really practical so that by the time we get to Holy Week, I'm hoping that every single one of you, that all of us together, has a specifically crafted and personal confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have readily available in our heart and then on our lips to give the reason for our hope. So in order to do this, I'm going to ask you to do some work between Sundays during these weeks of Lent. In fact, why don't you consider this to be part of your Lenten preparation, your preparation for Easter Sunday when we gather that day. Every Sunday as we get together, we're going to be talking about what it means to confess the gospel. And I'm going to walk you through a variety of different Christian confessions. And so between Sundays, I'd like for you to reflect on what God has done for you in Christ. To think about it. 
And as you think about it, actually to jot some notes down, to write something down. Maybe you have a piece of paper on your refrigerator, or maybe you have a little journal that you can use. Every day, think about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And jot a few of those words down this week. Not somebody else's words, but put it down in your own words. Write your ideas down. Keep track of the thoughts that come into your mind as you work your way throughout the course of this week. And and as we get closer to Holy Week, I'm actually going to ask you to share with me how you've summarized the gospel. And then I'm going to share it with everybody here. But don't stress out about it too much. We have six weeks. We're going to work together on this. And I'll give you some more direction as the weeks go on. But today, as we are just coming off the heels of Ash Wednesday, as we sit here in the first Sunday in Lent, and as we think about our mortality because of the ashes that we had on our foreheads, I want to share another gospel confession from the article that I mentioned a little while earlier. And this one comes from uh, the Reverend Martin Copenhaver, who is the president of the oldest theological school in the United States, Andover Newton Theological School in Massachusetts. And in his summary of the good news of Jesus, Copenhaver didn't even need seven words. This is how he put it. God gets the last word. God gets the last word. Now, in some ways, that version of the gospel is a little bit too vague, and we're going to talk about that next week. But, but I want to share it with you this morning because it expresses something very appropriate right after we had ashes on our forehead, Ash Wednesday. On that night and today, we remember that throughout our lives as Christians, and especially through the season of Lent, we repent Not just with words, but on Ash Wednesday, we wore ashes on our heads as our grief spilled out of our mouths and actually on our heads for everybody to see. It's a pretty sobering reality, isn't it? Because the wages of sin is death. What it means is that we have paid the price. We have purchased our own cemetery plot. For dust we are and to dust we shall return, we remembered on Wednesday night. And yet, Copenhaver reminds us that even in the face, especially in the face of our own mortality, even with our guilt literally on our foreheads, on our faces, God gets the last word. That's the point of Lent. That's the reason we celebrate Holy Week. It's It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday all rolled up and wrapped up together because while death awaits all who sin, God, through the victorious resurrection of Jesus, his son, gets the last word. And the last word is a word of grace. It's a word of forgiveness. It is a word of life and salvation and peace with God. It is a word of hope for tomorrow And it's a word of hope for eternity. So I'm praying that this season of Lent is going to strengthen your, our faith in Jesus. 
and that it will not only prepare us to celebrate his death and resurrection when we get to Holy Week, but also to prepare us to share the Christian hope that we have with so many who need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.